The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. Rancho Baptist Church has been supporting a village in Malawi, Africa for some time now through the GoGo Grandmothers Ministries. Our young adult pastor, Eric Keeling, was able to lead a team from RBC to Malawi just for the last several weeks, and he's back. And today he's going to lead us in some lessons that he's learned from that trip in Malawi. Let's join Eric now as he leads us in the Word. Well, as uh, Tom said, this is an opportunity for me this morning to to share with all of you a little bit of our time in Malawi. Uh, the two weeks that we spent there went quickly, um, but there was... Uh, a lot of to take in and absorb. Um, I would uh, encourage you, I think in first service it is a little later, but I'll just let you know right now, there was a team of eight of us that, that had the opportunity to go. And I'd encourage you, if you see any of those who went, to, to go up and, and I'm sure ask them how their time was, their stories. Uh, they'd love to tell you all about it, but, but ask them how they're doing uh, too, because I will tell you just personally, still trying to process so much of of two weeks over there and, and uh, just getting to, to see what's going on in the ministry and in the lives of, of others around the world and stuff. So I uh, just encourage you maybe to be continue to pray for the team and, and maybe ask them how they're doing. But I want to share a few pictures with you, let you know a little bit about our time. I'm not, not going to do too much here before we get into the Word, but um, this is the... Uh, we arrived on Saturday... And then on Sunday, we went to church, as I said. And then Sunday afternoon, we were, we were able to take the safe staff uh, to lunch. So this is the, the entire safe staff, minus Dick and Charlotte Day, who kind of started the ministry a number of years ago. Uh, Charlotte has a major leg infection, wasn't able to join us. And uh, Dick is on a walker and couldn't get up to where we took the picture. But uh, this is kind of the group here. Down in the, the bottom corner are Tima. And Ben, they oversee all the financial stuff going on with SAFE over there. And then uh, here in the green shirt up front is Aaron. Uh, he's a young man who works with Safe Haven, which I'll share a little bit about that during the message. And then Moira is next to him. Uh, she's from England, but uh, had married a Malawian gentleman. Had been there, she's been there for 30-some years, I believe. And uh, she works kind of on the admin side of things over there as well. And then Brenda and Mary... Uh, kind of work in the villages. Brenda oversees the the gentlemen, the folks who are in charge of each of the villages, and, and Mary's kind of the boss of everything. Uh, she's very good at it. And uh, <laughs> Kathy, uh, back, actually Mary and Kathy both have been here to Rancho Baptist Church before, uh, a handful of years ago. But Kathy oversees the youth ministry uh, that's going on in the villages. It's a little bit different than what we would think of when we say youth ministry. It's ages 15 to 35. Um, so it's a, a broad spectrum, um, but she's really investing in trying to teach them how to, to work and, and make things so that they can provide for themselves, their families, different stuff. And then uh, Lamech over here on the end, uh, he is connected with the Jesus Film Ministry. He goes into the villages and into the schools uh, down there, shares the Jesus Film, preaches the gospel. He's also just started working recently with a group of local pastors in some of the villages. And so I spent... A lot of my time was spent with Lamech and uh, the ministry that he's doing. So it's an amazing group of people. We were, as a team of eight, we were truly blessed by them. I think they probably blessed us more than we blessed them. Um, um, it's fun to see people right where the Lord wants them to be. 
You know, you could just see the, the love and the passion that each of them had for their specific ministries and stuff. And it was, it was truly a, a gift being able to meet with them. This is uh, the Tuesday morning. It was our first morning in the village. And uh, these are a group of Go-Go's sitting there. And they welcomed us. Uh, a lot of clapping and singing and things along those lines. And uh, so this is... We actually support... Uh, we support Tadziwana. Uh, which is connected to a group called Kawia. Uh, Kawia, Tadziwana, Kawia kind of signifies, it's like a county, and then you have the, these different villages that are, would be the cities, like Marietta Temecula would be Tadziwana, Tikondani, Chiombi. Uh, we actually, we say that we support Tadziwana, but in essence we're supporting three villages. Uh, when we send supplies and things over, it's really going to all three of those villages. Uh, that are connected in that. And so we're able to help with all the, the children's or early education type stuff and as well as with the youth and different things along those lines. And so this was on Tuesday, all three of the villages kind of came together uh, and were there to welcome us and, and greet us. It was pretty overwhelming. Um, they, Malawi is known as the warm heart of Africa. Uh, they, they are very, a very warm culture, and they just greet you well, and uh, it's, it's pretty fun and interesting. There's a neat group of folks here. These are some of the faces of the kids. You can't come home from Africa and not show some of the faces of the kids. They're just sweet. Um, well, he wasn't so sweet with me, but they're, they're <laughs> he, was, he was not happy I was taking his picture. Um, we learned something early on. Azungu is an important word for us to understand. Azungu means white people. And so when they would see us, they're like, Azungu, Azungu, you know, and the kids especially struggled with it, because a lot of these kids, we were the first white people they'd ever seen. Um, and so that's scary to them. And so they would just kind of stare at us or cry if we walked up to them or whatever it was. But uh, some of them were great, and you could tell that they had been others. This little one uh, fell asleep while Stacy was teaching, and so hopefully none of you do that this morning while I teach. So, but uh, it was a, a fun time. The kids were a huge blessing. I, I didn't get to spend as much time as I would have liked to have, but, uh, but it was great. This is in uh, our second day in the village. We went to Tikondani, and we passed out the jackets, all the fleece jackets that were made by many of you folks here uh, at RBC. And um, so we were able to distribute all those, and all the kids were... It was probably 90-some degrees and humidity, and they're just, they got these fleece jackets, the sweat's pouring down, and they're just so happy. They got their hands in their pockets and everything. Uh, this young man down here has got his fleece jacket on, and if you look at the bottom, you can see a little wooden truck that was made by a gentleman in our church. He made over 200 of these, and we were able to take them over and uh, bless the kids, and they were loving those. We dropped, put about uh, 30 of them in each of the villages, and then some more for the staff to have with Safe Haven, different things, so playing with that. This young man was showing off his new underwear. Um, he, he was so thankful for his new underwear. As soon as we were done, he ran across the street from where we were at, pulled his shorts off and put his new underwear on and was posing and John happened to catch a good picture of him. So it was, he, was, he took about three or four shots. He, was, he had quite a few poses to show off. It was pretty impressive. He was cute. This is a, it's called Safe Haven. Um, this is a ministry that really a lot of us weren't aware of uh, what was going on over there. Safe Haven is essentially, it's a ministry that, that they do in the villages in the community. It's kind of an urban uh, village ministry. And what they do at Safe Haven is, it's like a boys and girls club 
for us here. The, the kids in the Zomba city can come in every afternoon. Aaron, who I was telling you up front, he's 31 years old, and he has about 100 kids come each afternoon. He does Bible studies and devotions with them, uh, plays games, and it's just a place where they know that they can always go. There's going to be someone there uh, to talk with them and, and to do all that stuff, and it's just a super neat ministry. We spent an afternoon there, um, and John uh, Clemente got to share his testimony while we were there for all the kids and stuff, and we had a blast. We took a bunch of games. Uh, we don't know what we're thinking. We took games like Connect Four and Battleship and Sorry, and we're trying to teach these kids. We can't speak their language, and but it was fun. We we had a good time. Uh, I think the most popular was the bracelets. The girls Tate and Grace were making bracelets, and then all the kids went down there and were doing that. It was funny because the teenage boys would be doing it, but every time I'd walk up, they just they'd put it down real quick. And I'm like. I'm like, what are you doing? And every time I walk, they just put it down. They didn't want me to see the boys making bracelets. So I was like, you're fine. Make the bracelets. It's good. So it was a lot of fun uh, there at Safe Haven. And then uh, this is back in Kawea on uh, Friday. Um, It was our last day that week in the village. The Go-Go's down here uh, made a lunch for us. We got into the village just after 9 o'clock in the morning. They had already been there I don't know how long and set up. You see they have little bricks, the clay bricks that they make. They, they put the pots on there, and they were making rice and lentils and sema and, and beans and all kinds of, it was just amazing, uh, cassava and all this stuff, and, and put out quite a spread. About 1 o'clock, 12.30, 1 o'clock, they served us. So they were cooking all day, and, and it was a, a great meal. We got to sit and eat with our hands, and it was good. Wendy, one of our go-go's, is mixing up the sema. They put this giant pot, and sema is essentially like pasty mashed potatoes. Um, has no real flavor to it. And the way you eat sema is you grab it and you kind of mix it up in your hand and it has no real flavor, so you dip it into stuff and then you eat it that way. So you're dipping it into a stew or into whatever and eating it. They told me to eat it the first day. So I was like, absolutely, I'll do whatever. So I eat the sema and I grab it and they're like, use your hand and do all that. I could not get it off my hand. Like for the rest of the day, I'm like, it's pasty stuff. And then I watch them eat the simas, we were get, going to lunch, they all wet their hand first. So it just comes right off. I'm like, oh, well, thanks for telling me that. So, But Wendy was mixing the sema. Uh, some of our other ladies got involved in that. I think the Go-Go's were laughing at them because they could hardly move the spoon. And then these grandmas get in there, and they're just like, I mean, it was amazing. They're just churning that thing. But when Wendy starts going, they all start clapping and singing and everything. They were so happy to see a, a Go-Go from the United States mixing sema in the village. So it was a lot of fun. And then uh, this was on Sunday. We were there, got to preach. Uh, John shared his testimony. I'll share a little bit more about that as we get into the message. And then this is a group of the pastors. They had us over for lunch afterwards. And uh, we kind of sat and hung out and did some sharing amongst that group. And so it was, a, it was a fun afternoon with all of them. And then this was our last day in the village. That Monday the following week, we went back to uh, Tajiwana the village that, that uh, specifically that we support, and all three had come together. And so all these Go-Go's right here under this mango tree are wearing their headscarves that we had taken over there for them. Uh, again, that a lot of the folks here at RBC made happen. So they're all wearing their headscarves. Uh, the beanies, we had beanies for a bunch of kids. John's holding a little boy there with his be- new beanie on. The girls are there with their headscarves and stuff. And uh, it was just a really neat time to be able to, to kind of bless all them together again. And then they had gifts for us, which we weren't really expecting. And that's where I got this shirt from. They, our, our village in Malawi made this shirt for me. So I'm wearing this and representing today, which is pretty cool. 
And they didn't measure or anything. They did all right. I think when they were hugging me, they were trying to figure out measurements. But, <laughs> but it was good. They did, they did a nice job with it. And so we were blessed. The, the ladies all got chichinjes. And I, I don't think I'm pronouncing that right. But they got skirts and stuff. So it was, it was a, a fun time with them. And then after that, we got to spend uh, a day and a half at a Mvu uh, Safari Park, M-V-U-U. Uh, saw a lot of elephants. Mvu means hippo. If you talk to me beforehand, you know that I'm terrified of hippos because they're deadly animals and you should all be terrified of hippos. <laughs> but um, there were lots of hippos everywhere and we're in the boat just going across and they're right there just diving and everyone's like, Do you see? I'm like, yeah, it's down there somewhere. So it's, there's lots of hippos and crocodiles. I wasn't so worried about the crocodile. I'm like, I see those, I'm, but the hippos are big and they're under and flip the boat over and we're done. So... Um, but uh, it, was, it was really a gift at the end of our time to kind of be able to just rest a little bit and, and enjoy that, that time together. And it was a lot of fun uh, getting to see all that stuff. We saw zebras and water buffalo and antelopes, and it was good. And then I have one last, it's a little short video I'm going to show you. Uh, the, as I said before, the Go-Go's are very welcoming. They're, they're super thankful to have you there. They love to sing. They love to clap. They love to dance. And so we said to all of our ladies who were there, you're going to be singing and dancing with them. You go-go's dance. Go-go's, that's what they do. Said, so, But the men, the men don't dance. The men just kind of stand there or sit in chairs and watch everything happen. So I was like, I didn't dance all week. We were about to get in the car as we were leaving, and this is what happened. She was the boss. She pulled me up there and said, this is what we're doing. There's a reason I don't dance. And if you can hear the saying Abusa, I'll tell you what that means in a minute. So the one to my right, she's the boss. She runs everything. But this one wanted me to come out and dance with her. And the other one was having none of it. So she starts swinging at her <laughs> and pulls her back in. And so that was a good way to finish our time in the village. It was a lot of fun. So, as I said, they were saying, singing a busa, and uh, the word busa means pastor uh, when you're over there. So if you're saying, oh, I heard a great pastor preach a message, you would just say the busa. But if you're talking to the pastor, you would say abusa. And so for two weeks, I just, abusa, abusa, abusa. And so that's what they were saying. And so I expect all of you to call me abusa from now on, but not really. Uh, but it was an amazing time, and I'm thankful for it. And, uh, but while I was there... I got to preach in one of the churches, and as I said, one of the village churches, and uh, I'll share a little bit more about how we got to that point, but after preaching the message, um, the team really said, that's what you need to preach when you get home. Uh, I knew I was preaching this weekend already, and they said, you need to preach the message that you preached here. So if you would, grab your Bibles and open up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13 this morning. And let me open our time up in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us the privilege of being together to worship you this morning. Father, we pray that you would go before our time. We pray that you would be honored in our time. And we ask that you would use your word to accomplish its purpose in our hearts and in our minds this morning. 
Father, I recognize that I have nothing to offer and nothing to bring, and so I ask that you would um, just empty me of myself and that you would speak forth through me the message that you have for the body here at Rancho Baptist Church. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of you and the faithfulness of your word to accomplish its purpose. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, our first day in the village was a Tuesday, as I said, and we were welcomed by all the Go-Go's in there. And then once they did the welcome and the introductions, we kind of broke off into different groups. And our teenagers went with the, the youth group and were hanging out with them. And our Go-Go's who were there were hanging off with the Go-Go's and stuff. And Stacy and Michelle, I think, were hanging out with some of the teachers that, that are working with the preschool kids. And I got brought into a room uh, full of the men of the village, chiefs of some local villages, and a few pastors who happened to be around. They had asked me to speak with them. And so uh, while we were during the welcome, Mary, who kind of is in charge of everything, had shared about shepherding. And so they wanted me to tell these chiefs and these men how to run the villages. And I'm like, how do I know how to run a village? I don't live in Africa and never have. And so I'm like, I'll talk about shepherding. I'll talk about what it means to shepherd and what it means to lead people and who the good shepherd is and how he goes before his flock, how he tends the flock and cares for. And, and so I got the opportunity to share with them about all of that. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then the chiefs were able to ask me questions and said, hey, what do I do when one guy steals another guy's property? What do, and I'm like, uh, give it back to him. I don't know. It's like some of these, you know, or just different interesting things. And they're asking me and I'm all, man, this is just not anything that I understand. But it was a neat time with them. But after a little bit of time, the, the men and the chiefs all left, and I got to spend some time just hanging with the pastors. And I had known I was going to get that opportunity, and so I had planned to talk to them about discipleship. It was one of the biggest things that were, was going on with them there uh, in the villages. This group of pastors is just kind of getting started. Lamech has just made some connections with them, and their churches are they're starting to make some connections amongst the churches to support one another as they look to minister to the people living in these villages. And uh, so... I said, well, let's talk to them about discipleship. And so I uh, had been spending time in 2 Timothy 2, especially, and, and looking at Paul telling Timothy, hey, this young pastor, as you're here going into this ministry, you need to find a few uh, faithful men and pour into them and invest into them and trust that God will multiply that work and that it will go forth. And so I really encouraged those pastors. I said, listen, I'm sure that you're probably feeling overwhelmed as you look at this church and you have all these people and most of them, they don't have vehicles, so they're walking or riding bikes to get to their people's homes and, and to the churches and, and everything. So it's, it's a long day for them to try and minister. And I said, I'm sure that that's overwhelming. And I said, so understand that the, the Lord has got you here to, to invest in a few. If, if you can... I said, you're going to preach to your church. You're always going to preach to your church on Sunday. You're going to share the truth, and you're going to preach when you have those opportunities. But, but really, spend time with just a few faithful men. Have your eyes open to who are these people that you can be pouring into, sharing your love for the Lord, sharing your understanding of the Word, those truths, so that they can turn around and invest that in others. And now you've become so much more effective. And so it was a neat time getting to share with them. And at the end of that time, Pastor Banda, one of the pastors there, said, I would love for you to preach in my church on Sunday. And I'm there in Africa, and I'm a pastor. So, of course, I said, no, thank you. And no, I, was, I said, yes, of course, I'd be happy to preach uh, in your church on Sunday. So uh, I was getting ready, thinking about, okay, what am I going to preach on? And I had planned on preaching on Ephesians chapter 1. I was going to get in there, and I'm going to tell them who we are in Christ 
How important is it for us to understand who we are in Christ? It doesn't matter where you live in the world, to understand that, that you have been redeemed, that you have been chosen by God, that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that you have the inheritance of, of the, the Holy Spirit, and all of these, these wonderful promises that are declared to us in Ephesians chapter 1. So I was going to preach that, and then I was going to take them to chapter 2 and go, but look, you were, you were sinners, you were dead in your sins, so you were, you were these, these messed up people. But that's not who you are. You were those people. If you've put your trust in Christ, and the gospel is right there in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I had this, The message was ready to go. I told the team, and it was good. And so the team, I shared with them. I said, okay, here's something. And they're like, that sounds great. That's terrific. And then, like I said, John got to share his testimony while we were there. And uh, John, the first time he shared it was at Safe Haven when we were doing the ministry there in the, in the inner city. And, and so he shared his testimony, and, and uh, John has a pretty powerful testimony. His, his story is pretty amazing. And uh, it was really neat getting to do that. And then he, the second time he got to share it was when we went to a village. Well, we went to a school in a village, Songani, and it's a primary school. So it has ages like elementary up through like junior high type stuff. 3,000 kids in this school. And so we walk in, well, we, we get out of the truck, and it's one of those like scenes out of a movie. You know, all these kids are running up, and one white person standing in the middle, and they're all like, ah, Azungu, Azungu, you know, and waving their hands and high-fiving and clapping, and so we're like, wow, what are we doing? And they take us into a room where we have about 100 kids who are part of their Why Wait program, that are part of the Jesus Film program that Lamech is doing. And so uh, we're in the room with these kids, and we start showing some of the Jesus Film and then they had asked John to share his testimony. And so John shared his testimony again. Well, Pastor Banda, who had asked me to preach in his church, was there. And he heard John's testimony and his story of God's faithfulness and, and the way God had, had taught him through some of his own struggles. And he leaned over and said, would he be willing to share in my church on Sunday? And I said, I'm sure. Why don't you ask him? And so uh, he asked him, and John ended up sharing his testimony in the church on Sunday morning as well. Once I knew that John was sharing his testimony right before I preached on Sunday, the wheels started turning like, Lord, do you have a different message that you want me to share? Hearing John's testimony twice at that point now, um, it was pretty powerful. And, and it was pretty amazing to think about what God had done in his life and how much it fit, in a lot of ways, what was going on with these folks here. And so I was like, okay, Lord... I think I'm supposed to share a different message. So let me let me think about that. And I ran it by the team again. I said, okay, here's a deal on Saturday. As we're sitting there having dinner, I said, okay, I think I'm going to preach something different tomorrow. And they're all looking at me like, what? And I said, well, here's what's going on. You know, I shared all that with them. And, and I said, I think I want to preach Philippians 4, 10 through 13. And, uh, and they said, I think you're right. That sounds great. Now, it just so happens I preached this message here about three years ago. Uh, so I had a template to work off of before I did that. And so if you've been here, you've heard this message already before. Hopefully it's a little bit different and still refreshing to you. Um, but this is a message that I'm preaching because the team says this is what you need to preach when you get home. But in order to do that, I have to share a little bit of John's testimony with you. Because it's really what makes it so powerful, um, is coming after John's testimony. I asked him, I said, John, are you okay with me sharing your story with the church back at RBC. John's in Italy still. There's, he and his mom took off to Italy and are involved in another ministry going on over there. And so, poor kid, just out for surgery and he's gone for five weeks. But uh, he said, yeah, absolutely. And so I want to share a little bit of John's story with you. 
Um, when Michelle was pregnant with John, he had a stroke in her womb. Um, the doctors told Michelle and Miles that John would uh, probably never speak, that he would never walk, uh, and he wasn't going to have much of a life. Um, and thanks to God's grace poured out upon them and a lot of uh, work from the doctors and through Miles and Michelle, uh, John has done both and continues to do so uh, extremely well. Um, However, his left side is still pretty weak as a result of the stroke. If you've seen John, you may have noticed his left hand's not quite as strong as, as his other. The left leg is. He has a little bit of a limp. It's a little bit weaker. And because of that, uh, John didn't really like to be in public much when he was little. Um, he loved sports, but he didn't like to play sports because he was embarrassed about how he would run differently than other people and how he couldn't use his left arm the same way other people could use their left arm. And, and it, was, it was hard for him. And he would ask God, why? Why was I born this way? Or why, why, why am I like this? Can you take this from me? Can you just heal my arm and heal my leg and, and take all this away from me? And then John shares about a time when he was, I think, around 13 or 14 years old. He was reading through John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, there's the account of Jesus and his disciples coming across this man who was born blind. And the disciples say to him, Jesus, whose sin was it that caused this man to be born blind? Was it his or his parents? And Jesus said it was neither, but that it was so that God might be glorified through him. And John said that was life-changing for him. That all of a sudden he kind of went, okay, Lord, I understand why I am the way I am. It's so that you can be glorified through my weaknesses. So that you can be glorified through my struggles. That I can point to you in the midst of all of this. And then he said that as he understood that, he started to see other passages of Scripture. He even talked about Paul in, in praying three times for God to remove that thorn in the flesh. And he's like, you know, Paul wanted God to fix his problem too. And God said, no. I'm not going to fix your problem. See, the blind man got healed. And so, you know, it's like, okay, he got healed. But, but Paul, same type of thing. Lord, I got this, this thorn in my flesh. We don't know exactly what it is. But Father, take it away. And God said, no. There are times in which he will heal and times in which he won't. But God's going to accomplish his purpose in all of them to glorify himself. John talked about how in our weaknesses, God is made strong. And he shared this amazing testimony with all of them. He shared with them about how after learning this or thinking this way about it, he decided to go ahead and play sports. And he played baseball. He loved baseball. And he ended up going for his high school team. And he played baseball in high school, won a number of awards, actually. It was impressive to watch him because he'd catch and pull the glove. How many of you guys remember Jim Abbott? You guys remember Jim Abbott, the Angels? He had the one, he'd pull his glove off and, and throw. And John did the same thing in high school. He played outfield um, and would catch and pull the glove off and throw the ball. And he won a bunch of awards and there were newspaper articles, and he said it was, it was really neat because people would come up to him and say, wow, look at all these awards you got. And John would say to them, look at me. Do I look like I should be able to, to play baseball and win these awards? Look at my arm. He said, but it's only because of God that I'm able to be out there and do this. And he was able to glorify God through it. And it was a huge testimony to himself and to others around him and to all of us there. And so as we have John's testimony in our mind 
we're going to look at our passage this morning about really contentment in our circumstances and wherever we find ourselves in life because that's what God intends for us. And so Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, follow along as I read for you. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last I have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, it's important that we have a little bit of background and understand a little bit about what's going on before we continue on in this. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. This is a church that he had planted uh, some years before. Paul has a, a great love and care for this church. They have a great love and care for him. Uh, we're told that Epaphroditus would be sent by the church often to, to come and take care of Paul uh, through some of his struggles. And after he was chased out of Philippi, he traveled to Thessalonica where his ministry was difficult. And then from there, he went on to Berea, to Athens, and eventually to Corinth. And over the course of his travels, Paul received uh, gifts from the church in Philippi. They would send support to him in supporting his ministry and things that were going on. Um, and oftentimes we can look at that and go, wow, they must have you know, been blessed. They must have had a lot. But really the church in Philippi had some struggles. They had some difficult circumstances themselves, but they were willing to sacrifice so that they could support the ministry that was going on through the Lord and through Paul. And so he's writing this to the, this church, and he has a wonderful relationship with them. He loved the people there. This church was made up of Jewish converts, of Gentile converts. You had the Philippian jailer, who he and his family had come to faith. And so you had people in all stages of life in this church. You had people who had nothing and people who, who had a lot in this church. And so they were understand what Paul is talking about here. But even before we get into our passage again, Paul says to this church in chapter 1, he says that his circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. See, as Paul is writing this letter to the church, he knows that they're, they're concerned for him. They're concerned for him in his circumstances. He's in chains. He's in prison right now. He's being held captive. And he says, but don't worry about me because my circumstances have turned out for the greater good of the gospel. People are hearing about the fact that, that I'm willing to go to jail for the message of Jesus Christ. And that I haven't wavered in that. But he continues to proclaim and magnify and glorify God even in the midst of his circumstances. And he's saying people are coming to faith as a result of that. And then at the end of the chapter, he says to them, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, man, I, I would love to go home. For me, death is, is gain. I, I'm, when I die, I am with the Lord. And I no longer have any of this present struggles. I no longer have pain. I no longer have sorrow. I am with the Lord and it is good. But as long as I live, my life is for Christ. He's it. He's the only reason I live. Jesus is all that I talk about. He's all that I do. He's the reason for everything. I long for the day I no longer live. But when I do, it's all about Christ. And then he says to them in chapter 2, Do all things without grumbling or complaining. He's writing to this church 
who's been a blessing to him and he's sitting in prison and chained somewhere. And obviously they've shared some of their struggles and they're grumbling and complaining. He says, whatever you do, do all things without grumbling or complaining. This is coming from a guy sitting in prison saying, who are you to grumble? Why are you complaining? What's going on? And then he goes on in chapter 3. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ. Paul says, I I used to have a lot. I had a ton. And he goes, and I have lost all those things and, and that's gain to me to no longer have to deal with that. He comes to these guys in chapter 4. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren... Whatever is lovely, or sorry, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Paul tells this church, he says, listen, it is easy for us to be overwhelmed in our circumstances. It is easy for us to look at relationships with coworkers, relationships with family, relationships with other people at church. It's easy for us to look at our financial situation and all these things and be overwhelmed. And, and just be like, I can't handle it, I can't do it. And to give that all of our attention. That every waking hour is spent, Lord, why is, why is that relationship hurt? Why is that struggling? Why can't I fix this? And give all of our attention to these things. And Paul says to this church, listen, those struggles are there. That, that's not where you want to dwell your thoughts. That's not where you want your, your thoughts and your intentions and everything to be focused. He says, rather, things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are right, things that are pure. You are a child of God. He's forgiven you. He's redeemed you. He's poured out His grace and His mercy and His compassion upon you dwell on those truths and allow those truths to dictate the way in which you live. He starts it by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Again, a man sitting in chains in prison. Rejoice. Dwell on the things that are true. He's reminding them to take joy in the Lord no matter their circumstances. Don't allow your circumstances to dictate your joy. It cannot be. And these are the things that we are to set our minds on, things that are true. These folks were hurting. There's a reason Paul wrote the stuff that he wrote to them. Because they were hurting, because they were struggling, because they were grumbling, because they were complaining, because they were going through. So he wrote these things to them and reminded them to rejoice in the Lord, to set their their minds on Him and His truths and His promises. Now let me give you some encouragement because we can sit here and go, well, yeah, that's Paul. And he's the apostle and he was great, you know. But in verse 11, what does Paul say? He says, I have learned to be content. You see, contentment and peace is is something that we, we can learn. 
We, we, we can learn to be content in our circumstances. Most of us aren't born with that ability. Most of us want more, want something else, want different, but we can learn to be content. How do we learn things? Biblically, we know how God teaches us things, right? You want patience? You ask the Lord to, to give you more patience? What's he going to do? He's going to give you opportunities to exercise patience. He's going to put those difficult circumstances in your life. You want more compassion for people? The Lord's going to put hurting, difficult people in your path so that you might grow in compassion and love for them. You want to learn contentment? You're going to find yourself in difficult circumstances, in hard times. But we want to learn contentment. Paul learned it. He had plenty. He had nothing. He learned to be content in whatever his circumstances were because he learned that it didn't matter whether he had a lot or a little. God was still God. And he was still seated on the throne. And he was still faithful and loving and good and gracious. That's what Paul learned. And if we're going to talk about true contentment, we must understand that we are going to go through difficult times. And we're, if we're not looking to God, then we're not thinking rightly about Him. We, we need to, to understand who He is and His faithfulness, and then we will not find ourselves in discontent. The Christian life is not really meant to be easy or comfortable. It's meant to be one that's lived in conformity with Christ. That He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And it's a process that God is working us on. And we're becoming more and more like Christ every day. And it's not easy. Listen to Paul's life. He says, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers Dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of the concern for all the churches. That's the life of a man who is living for the Lord every day. Comfortable? easy but it was a life of contentment he had peace with God how dare we think or expect that our life should be comfortable or that we shouldn't suffer or that we deserve better we've missed the mark Paul had learned to be content in whatever his circumstances contentment is never based on our circumstances Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and living in need. The subject of this passage, the content of this passage is contentment. It's contentment. It's being okay in whatever your circumstances are. And then he comes to the last verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It drives me crazy when I hear this, this verse taught on. 
These athletes, I can do all things. I can do this. I can do that. I can, I can, oh, oh, I'm this, I'm that. I got gods with me. I can do all these things. No, you can be content no matter what your circumstances are. That's the context of this passage. The context of this passage is that you can endure this hardship. You can endure this difficult time because God is the one who strengthens you through it. You can endure difficult relationships because of God. There's a book that a lot of you here have gone through, I've been going through myself, called Gospel uh, by author J.D. Greer. In it, he's talking a little bit about this passage, and he says, uh, Paul said that not only did he know how to be a base, but he also knew how to abound. So he, Paul said, I knew how to have nothing and how to have a lot. Some Christians seem to know how to be abased, but not how to abound. We must learn to receive both suffering and prosperity from God's hand. And then he goes on to quote uh, Larry Osborne. And Larry Osborne says, When God Abrahams me or blesses me with prosperity, uh, he says, I will give him thanks, enjoy it, and share it generously. And when he jobs me, when God takes everything away from you, When God puts you in difficult circumstances, he says, then I will thank him, I will trust him, and enjoy my relationship to him. By God's grace, I know both how to be a base and how to bound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, whether we have a lot or whether we have little, whether things are good or things are tough, we're here to thank God, we're here to praise him, we're here to look to him. He is the one who is is so faithful and so good. Nathan Busenitz, a pastor up at Grace Community Church, writes this about the passage. He says, This is not a verse about material prosperity or personal ambition, even if that is how it is often used in popular Christian culture. In fact, this verse has nothing to do with improving your circumstances at all. Rather, it is a verse about relying on God's power in order to be content in the midst of circumstances that you cannot change. That's what it's all about. And as Paul is closing out his letter to this church in Philippi, he leaves them with these encouraging words, I know your circumstances are tough right now. I know that you are going through hard times right now. I know that it it seems like everything is against you. I know that you're suffering through some real trials, but you can be content in the midst of all that. And it does not make sense to the outside world. They don't understand how that is. For them, happiness, joy, peace, all that is dependent upon is everything going okay right now or not? Do people like me or not? That's not biblical contentment. That's not biblical peace. Contentment is found in our relationship with Christ. That is the one thing that Paul understood better than just about anyone else. Contentment is found in our relationship with Christ. And so we look to him. We look to Christ. Acts 4.12 tells us that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is a person of Jesus Christ. He is the one who brings peace. He is the one who brings contentment. Because God's word tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, we fall short. We fail, we miss the mark. We sin against our holy God. We are enemies of His. But we're told in Romans 6.23 that the wages, the payment of our sin is death. 
What's due is that eternal separation from God the Father. But in that verse he says, um, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there's this free gift that's given to us. Romans 5, 8, we're told that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were God's enemies, while we, we lived to please ourselves and not him, Christ died for us. He laid down his life. Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing in Jesus Christ. Believing in who he said he was and that he accomplished what he said he accomplished. I love that line on the cross. I cannot escape it. Every time I look to the passage of Scripture, Jesus says, it is finished. He completed his work. It is done. My life is reconciled to my heavenly Father in Christ. There is no longer enmity between me and God. There is no longer strife between me and God. I am forgiven, and I am right with him. It is finished. But we must understand that it is a gift from God. Because Ephesians 2.8, where I was going to finish with that other sermon, I'll finish this one. We are told that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and it is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There is nothing that any one of us sitting in this room have ever done to earn heaven. None of us are good enough, but by the grace of God, through faith alone in Christ, we are saved. We are His. And if we are trusting in Jesus and His finished work on the cross, we can be assured that we have peace with Him. And that means that in the midst of our circumstances, we should be able to find contentment. Knowing that God has us right where He wants us to be. And that He is accomplishing His purpose in us. May we not be overwhelmed. May we not be downtrodden. When we're we're discontent, it so often turns our focus from God onto ourselves. We think all about ourselves, how we're being treated, or what we deserve, or all these things, but true contentment is looking to the Lord and praising Him in whatever it is and knowing that He has a purpose for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word. We thank You for the power of Your Word. That it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank You that it pierces and it divides. Father, we ask that You would use these truths that are declared in Your Word by Paul, the Apostle of this church in Philippi. Lord, we ask that You would use it to, to encourage us to challenge us, to grow us, or to open our eyes to see you rightly. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are conforming us into the image of your Son. Father, fix our eyes on him, we pray. Get our eyes off of circumstances and situations and help us to focus on Christ our great Savior and you our wonderful Father in whose name we pray Amen Hey thanks for being with us today 
It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.